Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Film for Fans podcast, your home for movie news, reviews, and movie fan views. This is a podcast from movie fans for movie fans. I am your host, Ryan Denley, joined as always by my co-host, Rob Dunham. Hello. All right. We've got an excellent show. We're going to talk about the box office, uh, a interesting landing spot for Spider-Man for streaming, we will get into the legend that is John Williams and, of course, our watch list. All right, Rob, let's tackle the box office first. Does that sound good? It does. All right. Uh, so one of the questions we asked in last week's podcast, if you happen to check that out, is, is there still a market for the Jackass brand? Apparently, the answer is absolutely there still is. First at the box office this week, $23.2 million. Coming and I would like first. to point out that I believe if you watched last week's podcast, I said it would make between 20 and $30 million. So yes, you did. I'm pretty good about myself right now. <laughs> <laughs> Kudos to Rob. Yes, very, very well played, sir. Very well played. I honestly was uh, a little skeptical. I was. I was a little skeptical, but uh, it it delivered. It delivered. Apparently, there is still an audience for it, and uh, it did quite well. Uh, coming in at number two uh, was Moonfall at nine point nine million. Number three, Spider Man, still hanging in there at nine point five. Scream at four point eight, and Sing Two at four point five to round out the top five. Uh, so Rob, Rob, what do you make of box office? Any, uh, anything, uh, any more gloating you want to do about your, your prediction? <laughs> uh, I'm not super surprised by anything that happened in the box office. So mm -hmm. I don't know if there's a whole lot to say. Yeah. Um, it's just, uh, it is impressive that seeing Spider-Man continue to just chug along there, especially Spider-Man. Yeah. Um, it had legs, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really interesting. And uh, and uh, we'll, I, I guess you will be wanting to talk about Moonfall. Yes, we will so, be discussing Moonfall later. Yeah, so I'm taking it you are not particularly surprised by the results for Moonfall for this week. I'm not. I didn't think it was going to do a big number. They probably hoped it would do better than it did. Mm -hmm. Um but I'm not really surprised. I don't think there was a huge amount of anticipation for the movie. And anyone who was hugely anticipating it was probably anticipating seeing it because they knew it was not going to be good. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I don't think word of mouth is going to be very big on Moonfall either. So I don't think it's going to um, last too long or do very well. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought maybe it would do a little bit better than this because there, there hadn't been a ton of new movies out in recent weeks. So if you were looking for new movies and, uh, and buffoonery and pranksterness is not your style, I was, you know, I was thinking maybe it would, uh, it would garner some attention, but alas, it did not do that much. So yeah, nothing, nothing too shocking for this week's results. Uh, so let's uh, let's talk about the movies coming out this week, and there are three. That's right, there are three. Uh, first, we have um, Death on the Nile, 
And this is the uh, another Poirot movie. It's kind of a follow-up to uh, the one with Kenneth Braga as playing Poirot. He is back to reprise his role, investigating this time on a cruise ship in the Nile. And there's a pretty big cast in, in this one. Uh, it also has Gal Gadot, which we don't know how to get big back into her, her pronunciation again. Uh, <laughs> it, has, it has her in it. Uh, it has um, uh, Annette Benning. It has Tom Bateman. Russell Brand is in this one. So it has a, it has a pretty decent cast coming out to it. Uh, again, this is a murder mystery novel uh, based on Agatha Christie. Uh, so that is Death on the Nile. Uh, the next one is Marry Me. And this one stars Jennifer Lopez and Owen Wilson in what is sure to be just a, an absolute match made in heaven uh, with that particular couple, because who doesn't see Owen Wilson and uh, J-Lo together? But yes, this is a, a rom-com. Uh, music superstar Cat Valdez and Bastion are getting married before a global audience of fans. But when Kat learns seconds before her vows that Bastion has been unfaithful, she decides to marry Charlie, a stranger in the crowd, instead. So there you go. There you go. That is Marry Me. And the third one is, um, is called Blacklight. Blacklight stars Neam, Liam Neeson and Adrian Quinn. And as Travis Block is a government operative coming to terms with his shadowy past, when he discovers a plot targeting U.S. citizens, Block finds himself in the crosshairs of an FBI director he once helped to protect. So in other words, it's a William Neeson movie. Yes. Yes. All right, Rob, those are your three choices. Break them down for me. Um, so the... One I'm most interested in seeing is uh, Death on the Nile, because I really enjoyed um, Kenneth Branagh's portrayal of Barrow in Murder on the Orient Express. Yeah. Um, and looking forward to seeing that character more. Some people think that it was too over the top. Some people think you didn't do well enough. Um, there are other actors who have portrayed this role that people like more. Uh, but I think he did did well in it, and his mustache is awesome. Um, <laughs> and it should—it's a very interesting cast, for sure. Um, and I really enjoy the source material as well. So I'm interested in seeing how they um, put Death on the Nile on the screen. Mm -hmm. uh, Marry me—I'll probably maybe watch at some point with my wife. I'm sure, um, but I don't think I'm in a rush to go see it in the theater i possibly might but i it's not on the top of my list um and liam neeson i just have to go watch that just for liam neeson because liam neeson movies are fun they are because they have liam neeson in them <laughs> that's about all we need he, he's definitely in like nick cage territory mm -hmm. or as uh i need to go watch that because he's in it yeah yeah <laughs> yeah liam neeson is still toting the line of like He's on brand with this being a Liam Neeson movie, but he hasn't quite crossed over into the realm of the absurd that uh, Nick Cage has, has gone to. Uh, but it's possible he gets there. Uh, yeah, Death in the Nile for me is the number one attraction. Um, 
all agree with all of what you're saying. I love murder mysteries. I love mystery type movies. Uh, I thought the Perot character was was very engaging uh, in Murder on Orient Express. I thought it was uh, it was an interesting movie and a you know a really classic whodunit. You don't get a lot of classic whodunit type stories. Uh, so I'm guessing we're going to get something very similar with Death of the Nile, which is absolutely perfectly fine with me. Um, like I said, it's, it's, it's a favorite type genre. And I think, uh, I think the cast and the characters that appeared, uh, so far in the trailers are absolutely worthy of, of this being an excellent movie. So I'm looking forward to it and I have high hopes that it's going to be, uh, above average, that it's going to be good, that it's going to, it's going to be a good movie. Uh, Marry Me looks, uh, pretty terrible. <laughs> I mean, even from <laughs> rom-com stand, but I mean, <sighs> The I'm going to marry a random stranger and the random stranger is Owen Wilson. <sighs> Owen Wilson and J-Lo. I mean, is there possibly any chemistry there? <laughs> I mean, these movies are all about the chemistry between the two actors. And I cannot imagine there's a ton of chemistry between J-Lo and Owen Wilson. Um, it is remarkable how many, like, like romance roles a person with owen wilson's face gets (laughs) (laughs) it's it's really fascinating but uh, i like i'm intrigued and amazed by the fact that jennifer lopez seems to not age this is true yeah yeah she's been like 35 for like 40 years or something i don't know right it's it's like the reverse of of those those like old man actors who they look old when they're like 40 and they just stay looking the exact same for the next 40 yeah. years. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's really it is that is a fascinating thing. And uh when was the last movie J Lo was in? I mean, she had her brief movies here and there, wedding planner, you know, those sort of things. Uh, she was in a movie last year, a couple years ago that focused on uh, girls at a strip club who made mm. money by seducing men, getting them drunk, and stealing their money. But I don't remember okay. what the name of that was, but it was interesting. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, Blacklight. Blacklight is, yeah, it's it's a Liam Neeson movie. You know what you're going to get, and it's going to be interesting. And and so I'm I'm intrigued enough with that one that uh, if I would if I were to get some chance, I would go for it. So yeah, Death on the Nile first, Black Light second for me, and uh, Marry Me if I'm incredibly bored, uh, or my wife really wants we, to stay. <laughs> we are in agreement there. <laughs> right. uh, so that's the box office. Uh, and get, take, if you get a chance, go out and see one of these uh, fine movies this coming weekend. Uh, moving on, there is an interesting development when it comes to Spider-Man. There, it has been revealed the location of Spider-Man's No Way Home streaming service, and it will not be Netflix. It will not be Disney Plus. It will, in fact, be Stars. Interesting. Yes, No Way Home as first streaming service is going to be Stars, and uh, in terms of timeline, it's basically sometime in the next six months. Uh, so don't hold your hopes up that it's coming right around the corner. Uh, but it's interesting. And, and the quote from uh, the star CEO is this. Uh, While films seem to provide the, 
sorry. Ours is a retention game, not an acquisition game. Lining up content week to week for three weeks a year, seeking to move our core audience from one show to the next. Uh, so this is this is a big deal for this is a big deal for stars. You put the right shows and right content around it so that you can move customers to watch Spider-Man into one of your original movies. So for stars, this is really about uh, bringing people to the service so that they can see whatever else is on the service. Uh, so this is a big get for stars. What do you make of it? Well, I believe this is only due to the fact that they had a contract in place with them. Yeah. So they, so uh, Marvel and Sony's hands are basically tied on this, which I'm sure they're not really happy about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So stars may be trying to spin as a positive, but um, probably only positive for them. And I, as much as Spider-Man has a huge following, I don't really think that it will make a huge difference in um, like star subscriptions because there's so much else around. I don't think people are going to jump on that just for the one movie. Yeah. And Stars is not a bad streaming service. It's pretty good in terms of movies uh, that they run. And they just got some half-decent original shows. Um, I just had a couple months of, of cheap Stars that I, I went through. And there's a decent amount on there. It's not a bad service but it definitely doesn't have the cachet of like Netflix or HBO max or anything along those lines or definitely not Disney plus. Uh, so it will be interesting to see if this does move the needle for stars or if it doesn't, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I'm not convinced there's a giant move towards it. Uh, but if it's done right, I think they will get some subscribers. If they team it with some sort of package or some sort of deal, um, there's a way that they can market this that would, brings spider-man fans to the streaming service and then and then see how it goes i think there's a pathway forward uh for this working i just don't know if it's going to have the dramatic impact they want but hey i mean it's the biggest movie that's come out since the pandemic so if any movie is going to make a difference for him it's definitely going to be this one mm -hmm. all right well that is spider-man news uh, let's move on to our discussion, and and this comes out of a, a milestone that happened this week in the entertainment world. John Williams, the famous composer, turns ninety. Yes, he wow. turned ninety this week. I knew he was. He had to be getting up there. Uh, but yeah, John Williams turns ninety, and for my money, John Williams is the best, most recognizable movie composer of all time. Now. I don't know, maybe there's somebody in the 20s and 30s who had a big deal, but I don't think so. I think John Williams is the biggest deal that it gets. Um, and, and so I thought we'd spend a few moments just kind of walking through some of the legacy of John Williams. Uh, and we're gonna, we're gonna talk about some of our favorite soundtracks, but let's start with, let's start with this question. What, for, for you, Rob, what makes John Williams so special? Uh, I think that he is able to capture the scope of what he is, what he is translating from the screen into music mm -hmm. in a way that very few people are capable of. Yeah. Um, I, I think uh, Hans Zimmer has some similar 
mm-hmm. qualities, but I think John Williams uh, is even better in this regard, just that he is able to write music that is very close feeling for things that are small, but very large feeling for things that are big and epic. Um, and able to come up with very simple melody lines that just stick in your head. Mm -hmm. And when you hear them, you instantly are taken to those places, um, those moments, those feelings. And uh, I just think he's, he's honestly a genius when it comes to being able, like I said, to translate a visual into a musical um, lead. Yeah. Yeah, for me, for me, it comes down to memorability. Uh, John Williams has an unbelievable ability to create thematic elements that just stick in your brain, lodge in your brain. You think almost any soundtrack where you can say, oh, I can sing along to that theme from a movie, almost guaranteed that it's John Williams. I mean, you're saying Hans Zimmer is probably second up there when it comes to next to John Williams. But it's hard to it's hard to get any of Hans Zimmer's scores in your head when you when you see this. So John Williams just had this ability to create a a sweeping score that not only captures the moment, but to create an, a melody and a theme that just sticks with you and associates so dramatically with um, with that particular film or with that particular franchise. And uh, you can have great scores that you don't remember, you know, that, that don't get stuck in your head and they can be great for the movie, but his, his music just transcends the movie in ways that most other composers are not capable of delivering. And even years down the road, you can still remember it. If you say Star Wars to somebody, instantly you can think of the music. If you say Superman, the Superman theme. Even right now we're watching the Olympics. John Williams did the NBC Olympic theme. You know, all, all of the famous movie movie soundtracks that just stick in your head were all John Williams. All right, so let's 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 go through John's uh, so the John's score. So let's let's talk about this. Let's let's go back and forth on some of our favorite john williams scores um what what what's one that you pick out so i'm not going to go with my favorite to start out um okay. but I, I there are several mm-hmm. <laughs> um but one of my favorite movies of all time is the empire strikes back mm. and the soundtrack for that movie the imperial march um, especially dun 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 dun, just like man, it's so good. <laughs> it's so good how it just brings you into that moment of these are the bad guys. You should be feeling bad <laughs> right now. This should this should make you feel uncomfortable. Um, yeah. It does a great job of that, and I I really appreciate too taking. That, I actually have that soundtrack on vinyl mm. and listening to the extended versions of the songs, like the whole song. You don't hear that in the movie, obviously, because you can't play like a, you can't in the background play a whole two hour long soundtrack during the movie. <laughs> it's not going to work. Mm-hmm. Um, so they use elements of it for scenes in the movie. But hearing the compositions in full, how they start, how they 
build, how they come down, how they build again, how they finish. Um, all of the Star Wars soundtracks are good, um, but I would have The Empire Strikes Back as my favorite, and that's, you know, I'm very biased. Mm -hmm. But there, there is some stuff also in the prequels that is insanely good. Mm -hmm. um, but for me, it'd be The Empire Strikes Back, my favorite Star Wars soundtrack. It's not my favorite John Williams soundtrack, which that a little bit, but um, it's up there. Mm -hmm. uh, for me, I'm going to start with Jurassic Park. Uh, really, really love the soundtrack to Jurassic Park. That it's it it just it weaves the mood. It weaves the that this is special. This is interesting. This is different. It just carries it carries the weight and the emotion to it as you're going through it. Uh, it just it really is very very memorable. And it ties it ties together this unique concept in a movie that's so much about the visuals. This the soundtrack and the score just really, really, really take it up to another notch. No, well, now that you've stolen my favorite, <laughs> <laughs> go ahead and talk about it. <laughs> yeah, Jurassic Park is my favorite soundtrack by John Williams, and uh, the one that you mentioned right there is obviously the keystone to the whole soundtrack. Um, but talking this this kind of relates to those movies and it relates to the star wars movies that you had said memorability and i think that's such a big thing because those little motives that he writes whether it's luke's song or leia's song or the jurassic park theme um or the imperial march they've been used than in later newer movies from the same series mm -hmm. and you hear just that little hint and it brings everything back yeah right away and i remember um i would not say that the new jurassic world movies are like up to jurassic park level i i still enjoy them i, I think they're at that standard but when you heard in the trailer um for the first one that old theme come mm -hmm. in it was just like it just gets you excited like it's yeah. it's a moment to have hope to be thrilled again and it transports you back to when you saw the original movies um mm -hmm. so that's something i like about what he's done in the jurassic series yeah. and in the star wars series that you're able to just like in, in the new star wars movies when luke showed up you just hear that little motive in the background you're like oh yep i know that you know <laughs> um it's just it's a very powerful thing yeah yeah totally what uh, what else you got what's your next one um so raiders of the lost ark yeah indiana jones yeah um that's my favorite of the indiana jones mm -hmm. ones but um his music and all of them is great <laughs> It really and is. the Indiana Jones theme itself is just fantastic. Mm -hmm. So um, there's just there's so many. It's it's hard to <laughs> just pick a few, you know. Yeah, because I feel like we could talk for an hour just about John Williams. We could, we really could. Yeah, uh, the next one for me is going to be Home Alone, and I've talked about this a number of times, especially around the Christmas episodes. Uh, but just the way he leads you into it. 
I mean that that bit that's like it's both simultaneous for like like sneaking around, burglary, mischief, and Christmas all wrapped into one little theme. Um, and there's another one where where the notes he strikes on the emotional elements of Home Alone uh, just really bring it home. It really, really brings it home. And and the more I watch this movie, the more I appreciate how much of the the specialness of Home Alone was carried through John Williams' score. And it's it's fascinating that they they were just kind of the producers were just kind of brainstorming. Oh yeah, we should get John Williams to do the score, not thinking he would do it. And then he saw the script. He's like, oh, this this looks like a lot of fun, and he did it. And that just I mean, it really punched up the movie to the next level. Yeah, like I said, it's incredible that we're through all these things and there's still so much more like having yeah, I mean, mentioned et mm-hmm. um there's there's just the the sheer volume of classic quality work that he has done is hard to really comprehend yeah yeah absolutely um and not to mention you have some harry potter mm-hmm. jaws i mean the jaws theme i mean if there's not a more like iconic theme uh than than the the shark arriving <laughs> dun, dun, dun. yeah so it's, it's it's really fascinating and uh i mean super and we didn't even talk about superman the superman theme how can you not mention superman theme? i mean he's so good it's it's really really special uh so uh, if you, I'll link to a list of, of favorite John Williams scores that IMDb did and uh, take a look at it. Just the remarkable work that this guy's doing. He's still going too. He's not done. He's not retired yet. He's still on it. Any last, uh, any last thoughts on John Williams? Uh, just that he's amazing and ridiculous and I hate him for how talented he is. Yeah, uh, we're all better for... Uh, John Williams being around and and glad he can celebrate his 90th birthday. Yes. Happy birthday. Happy birthday, John. All right, let's move on to our watch list. Movies that we've watched over the last week uh, with a little breakdown of what we thought. Rob, do you want to go first on this one? Uh, Do I want to? No. Will I? Sure. (laughs) Um, Well, first of all, last night I saw Nightmare Alley again. Oh, okay. Man, I lo- I like this movie a, a lot, a mm-hmm. lot. Uh, it just came out. Uh, we didn't talk about. We should probably talk about the uh, nominations for the Oscars next episode. Yes, that um, is the point this yeah. week. Um, but it was nominated for Best Picture and um, well deserving, in my opinion. Uh, it is unlike anything Guillermo del Toro has done before. Uh, very much a period noir piece. Um, feels old-timey feels just classic um i don't think bradley cooper is phenomenal in it but he's very good hmm. and it kate blanchett i think is excellent in the movie as uh the villain um but really the, the main villain is bradley cooper he's his own worst enemy <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and the movie has a definitely has an emotional punch to it at the end and is strong throughout musically cinematography is excellent um i believe it was nominated for best cinematography as well okay um 
so I highly recommend seeing Nightmare Alley. If you have HBO Max, it is on HBO Max. So um, give it a chance. I really hope they release a version of it in black and white because I liked the black and white version even more than the color mm. version. Um, and then the other movie that I saw this week was Moonfall, which not many people saw, apparently. <laughs> I was in an IMAX theater, and there were a total of seven people there Okay. on Friday night, on opening night. Yeah, <laughs> so That's a rough one. <laughs> probably not a great indicator there. Um, I, I don't even know where to begin with this movie, <laughs> other than to say it is everything I hoped it would be and I was hoping it would be an unmitigated disaster <laughs> and it was and I loved it so much <laughs> uh I, there's none of this movie none of this movie makes sense um Halle Berry plays the director of NASA which is totally believable and not at all unbelievable because she also played Catwoman once yeah um <laughs> the dialogue the dialogue in this movie uh <laughs> it's on it's almost like a work of art how bad it is hmm. um a couple of my favorite lines from the movie one was i just want you i just want to hear you say you don't hate me i don't hate you i'll take it <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, um, a solid writing cool and then with the uh, spoiler alert uh, spoiler alert if you're going to watch the movie because this is part of I guess like the denouement the, the big climax of the movie um, the one character asks am I dead and the response is we uploaded your consciousness you're part of the moon now <laughs> I decided oh. I don't really have any further comment beyond just saying that's a line from the movie Mm-hmm. so i don't recommend that you watch it but <laughs> i do in the sense that every once in a while it's really good to watch a movie that's really bad to remind you that they exist yeah because i think it can be easy to get trapped in the in the skill of watching only good movies i mean like oh why do i think every movie is good because you're probably watching good movies Indeed. And, and I mean, there's a genre of movies that are bad on purpose, right? Yes. Like B movies, we call them, or they, they're trying to be bad. This was not that. This was a movie that was taking itself seriously, and it was just not good, <laughs> um, which is exactly what I expected. There were some amazing visuals of the world getting destroyed, yeah. um, and especially of the moon getting closer and closer to the earth and the effect it was having on the earth. That was cool. But overall, man. It was a disaster movie that was a complete disaster. Two thumbs up. (laughs) (laughs) So I didn't get to watch a ton. I did not get to watch a ton this week, but I continue to peruse the 90s movies, uh, especially the ones on Disney+. And uh, this week's edition is The Three Musketeers. Yes, the 1993 movie, The Three Musketeers, uh, that starred... Um, Kiefer Sutherland, it had Oliver Platt, it had um, Chris O'Donnell, Charlie Sheen, Tim Curry. Really good cast. Really yeah, it was a good cast. Uh, it was, I mean, and for being like basically a, 
like more of a, a kid young adult type movie uh it's well done the act the actors play compelling characters uh the story is interesting the the sword play is interesting enough um and each i think each and this is tribute to the actors each one of the characters orth athos porthos and aramis all had their own distinct personality their distinct characters they were all memorable and uh, the integration of chris o'donnell as d'artagnan into the mix was was fun and uh well done i think the the memorable scene of him showing up in paris and ended up um running into each one of those three guys and ending up with a duel with each one of them in the same day it was kind of fun um but i i do like i do like it it's just it's not you know it's not a world beater but it's a it was a well done the 90s like kid young adult movie and uh i think it holds up even now and it's, it's another one of those genres that we don't see as many movies uh produced for that genre yeah i think that's a good shout i have to check that out sometime soon yeah yeah all right rob you got anything else i do not i think we're gonna go watch a movie maybe oh yeah sounds good i think i will too um all right uh, that is all the show we have for you today. Thanks for tuning in to Film for Fans. Make sure you check out filmforfans.com and tell your friends about the podcast and YouTube channel. Uh, we'd love to have you. Until next time, enjoy the movies. <laughs>